Edinburgh, one of Europe's most entertaining cities, is packed with history and fun. I'm Rick Steves, and we're getting an insider's guide to Edinburgh today on Travel with Rick Steves. It's the home of Robbie Burns, Sir Walter Scott, and Robert Louis Stevenson, with a heritage that beats powerfully in the hearts of its proud citizens. Scottish tour guides Anne Doig and Ken Handley escort us on a stroll down the Royal Mile, one of Europe's most interesting walks. And they'll describe the city's famous festival season, where they celebrate everything from marching bagpipers to edgy theater, from books to the blues. Edinburgh has really almost become the, the city of festivals in Europe. And for us, it's almost like the first time every time, because Edinburgh is this Pandora's box. You feel history, you walk history. The Scots have a proud history, and Edinburgh has a lot to show for itself in the 21st century, including a shiny new parliament building. It's a bonny wee bit of Scotland, coming up as we explore Edinburgh, next on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and today we're going to Edinburgh in Scotland. Once a medieval powerhouse sitting on a lava flow, it sprouted into Europe's first great grid-planned modern city. It's the colorful hometown of Robert Louis Stevenson, Sir Walter Scott, and Robert Burns, and it's Scotland's showpiece in one of Europe's most entertaining cities. Historic, monumental, fun, and well-organized, it's a tourist delight, especially in August when the Edinburgh Festival takes over the town. And I've got with me two guides that are joining me from Edinburgh. They're here in the studio, Ken Hanley and Anne Doig. And we're going to visit a city that really is the historical and cultural capital of Scotland. Thank you so much for coming to our studio today. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. You're both hometown people there. What little nutshell advice can you give Americans visiting Edinburgh to most enjoy your beautiful city? Well, I think it's a very good city to walk around. So to start off in the, with Edinburgh Castle, that's an impressive view of the whole city, and then work your way down the Royal Mile, and you really can feel and touch and taste it that way. So that, that really be, is quintessential Edinburgh there. Starting with the castle and doing the Royal Mile and the, the old little closes and alleyways. There's museums there, there's shops, and the Museum of Scotland's not far off the Royal Mile, and it's an excellent introduction to the country. The whole of Scotland's culture is there, from the, the Romans right up to the through industry and empire and right up to the present day. And this, this mile has got to be one of the most historic miles anywhere, conveniently downhill from the castle to the palace. And now this museum you're talking about really makes it a wonderful education. What, a couple blocks off, you've got, what's uh, the museum called? The National Museum of Scotland. Uh, it's an absolute jewel in the crown, Rick. Uh, it truly is. And you would expect Anna and I to say that, but in, but in actual fact... Um, it, it, it transports you th- through 2,000 years of Scottish history, unashamedly. Uh, so I, I would say that that's another must-visit. And as Anne rightly says, you encapsulate 2,000 years of history. You physically view a medieval old town, a purpose-built Georgian Victorian new towns, and you see peripheral to that 21st century Edinburgh, which in anybody's book is just mind-blowing. So for anybody coming from America, as Anne said, the castle, Royal Mile, that's a great starting point, and then you roll from there to the museums and so on. And that National Museum, there's a lot of museums. This is this is new. If you have a five-year-old guidebook, I don't think you'd have the information in it. Absolutely not. This uh, is the, it's called the National Museum. And it's, it really is all about the kingdom of the Scots. And it's got artifacts. You know, you go to a lot of museums, and it's like reading a book standing up. They just blow up the pages and the photographs, and they put them on the wall and charge you admission. And I go, what's going on here? But here we have real artifacts. There's a fan celebrating a, a victory of Bonnie Prince Charlie with yeah. Bonnie Prince Charlie and his cohorts on the fan so the aristocratic women could have this as an accessory when they go to the, the victory party. Victory party, absolutely. It's just one of these completely unique... And you know what? Entrance is free as well, Rick. You know, right? There's no charge for that or any of the galleries in the city or in Glasgow or Aberdeen around the country. But now, these are free. Is that an initiative of the government, and will that change if the government changes? No, I think... Uh, well, nothing's cast in stone, I don't think, Anne, but I, I think that uh, the long-term policy is that entrance to all these museums and galleries are free unless we have a special 
Right, sure. Know, something like that. But I know in, that, in, in some countries it's actually free as long as this party's in power and new government yeah. comes in and they'll change that. But in, I think in Britain generally some of the accommodations and the meals and the drinks are expensive, but the museums generally free, free, the National yeah. Museums. It's actually the city councils that run the museums. Um, okay. And it is a debatable point because in Glasgow they have hundreds of people going to their museums and galleries there and they cost a lot of money for the city to run and they often, it does come onto the table, should we charge? But right. I don't think they ever will. Now you two are taking groups through Edinburgh day after day. What is for you the biggest joy in your work of showing off your city with these foreign guests? I think one of the things that both Anne and I enthuse about is that we've been guys, as you rightly say, for a long time. And for us, it's almost like the first time every time because Edinburgh has this Pandora's box and you can open it on Monday uh, and get something terribly special for us. So when we infuse like that about the little things, now I'm not going to mention the castle or the palace or anything like that, go in and out the closes and you observe the history. You feel history, you walk history. It's excitement all the way for us. And I think that, that uh, in a way, we generate that to the people. And when that goes across, people go away infused. Uh, take our new parliament, for instance, uh, to local Scots. It's an abomination. It's an expense that we didn't have to have. And yet, it won last year the architectural award for the new build in the world. And yet, there we are, typical Scots calling it this abomination, and yet... Costs too much money, you see. Scots don't like to spend money. <laughs> so you have this striking new uh, parliament building that really is quite a statement oh. about Scottish pride. You mentioned earlier going into the close. Uh, now, so we have to remind our, our listeners, mm. Edinburgh was the most densely populated city in its in its Absolutely. heyday in the, in the Middle Ages, and you walk down these... The, the, the buildings got taller and taller. They say the first skyscrapers in Europe were in Edinburgh. Yep. And then what is a close? Take me into a close so people know what this well, is. Well, in the old days, a close uh, would be something that, uh, that had a gate, whether it be wooden, whether it be metal, and it would lead you into a courtyard, hence the name, a close, so that you had the power, you had the wherewithal to close that gate or uh, into the courtyard. Or you might have a wind, W-Y-N-D, and that's something that stairs that take you turnpike, round like that. Spiralling. So, spiralling, a wind. So you can have a wind or a close. In old, old Scots, uh, Anne and I might call it an entry. So there's a lot of jargon you need to know to understand a map when you're around in Edinburgh, when you're t- getting directions from locals. I think close so. is really just another name for a lane or alleyway now, leading into the buildings okay. at the back. And they were closed off, so hence it became an enclosure Hence the name Close. Close. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. And today we're in Edinburgh. And uh, do I get the pronunciation right there? Yes. Say it for me in your good Edinburgh. 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 Get Edinburgh. That. Roll that R. Edinburgh. Like B-U-R-R-E. <laughs> say it Mo- for me again. Edinburgh. And Ken? I would do the other way and say to you, in America, I would say Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. <laughs> Edinburgh. And, and okay. Edinburgh. So, but to say Edinburgh, like Pittsburgh. No, no. So you're a stranger. Then you're you a stranger. Stand out. You've got Edinburgh. a stamp on the head. You're Edinburgh. A All right. I've got Ken Hanley and Anne Doig from Edinburgh. Thanks for joining <laughs> me. And we're talking about the wonders of the historic and political capital of Scotland. You could call Edinburgh the historic, artistic, religious, and political capital of Scotland. Yes, yeah. Is that yes. true? Glaswegians, Glasgow people would be okay with that? They don't like that at they all. They don't like though. it. But, but could they make a case that they're the capital? Oh, no. The, what, no, what, no. What, if you're from Glasgow, how would you call York City the capital of Scotland? In what way? I think uh, uh, Glasgow claims, and rightly so, on the, the industrial tag. So it's the industrial... It was the, industri- it was the second city of the empire. But you know what? So the it's the rest thing. capital of Scotland. But yes. it's also the cultural capital, <laughs> although from Edinburgh I have to support Glasgow in this yes. because it's the home of the Scottish Opera, Scottish mm-hmm. Television. Okay, culture in it, Glasgow. Culture, yeah. Royal Scottish Academy. It's got the best design school. Art Nouveau. Art Nouveau, yes. City of Charlie, Architecture Charlie, and Design. Charlie <laughs> Charles Rennie Macintosh. Yeah? Yes. <laughs> now, a lot of people go in their travels to the uh, touristic superstars and they forget the place that the real heartbeat is of a Aye. country's economy and so on. Could you make a case that Glasgow is a, is a good side trip from Edinburgh or a worthwhile place to visit oh, on a short trip? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. On a short and, and I mean, the trains run only... You every know, 15 minutes. Every 15 minutes. And how long would it take to get to Glasgow? Uh, an 50 hour. minutes. 50. Uh, an hour. Yeah. So within an hour, you could be from Edinburgh to Glasgow 
if you got four days in Edinburgh, maybe you could make the case that three days in Edinburgh and one day in Glasgow, Glasgow would, would be a good idea. Without doubt, you have the first museum of religion in the world in Glasgow. All right. You have the borough collection. You have the house for an art lover. Do people talk like Andy Cap there, don't they? Yes, they talk. Well, they have a, aye, well, or is that his name, the cartoon guy? Cartoon guy, aye. No, you're thinking of Billy Connolly, possibly. But Andy Cap is a can- cartoon character as well. Does he's he right have a, a Scottish... Oh, absolutely. But it's a broad accent. In Glasgow, it would be, Goony no go there, Rick. I just no going to do that, son. Wisney me. Yeah, Wisney me, it was her. <laughs> What's Wisney me, Anne? What is that? It means it wasn't me. Wisney me. <laughs> it wasn't me. So there's a language barrier for the American in Glasgow. Oh, yeah. Oh, is yeah. there a language barrier for the Edinburgh person in Glasgow? Oh, yeah. yeah I think <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe not. not. More for the American, I think. Yeah. Hey, we have some callers on the line. Let's talk to Terry in Cincinnati. Hi, Terry. Thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. Yeah. Nice talking to you. Love your show. Oh, thanks. Uh, you got some questions about Edinburgh or some comments? Yes. Uh, we would like to take a family vacation there for a week in all of Scotland and are looking into, like, renting a house. There's seven adults and one baby and want to know if this is feasible, if it's a good idea, or if it would be better to stay, like, three days in Edinburgh and then go out to the high country. You know, so we we want to know if we have enough to do for like day trips from one location. Hmm. Well, how would you, Ann and Ken, uh, advise a, a, a gang of eight to have a good look at Scotland? Um, you can do both, to be honest. Uh, hi, Terry, it's Ken here. Uh, I'll have a word with you in a moment, but uh, you can do both. You could base yourself in Edinburgh, and I say that because you want to maximize what you can do, and Edinburgh does offer you enormous amount of things to do on a daily basis. But you could also split it as well, and, and you could stay in Edinburgh and possibly stay in Inverness. My personal preference for you with a family that size would be to stay in Edinburgh for the duration of your holiday and enjoy the city and then start to stretch your legs by going to St Andrews or the Trossachs, a day trip to Glasgow and a day trip in the Borders. And what you'll find is your week will very quickly disappear. But having stayed in the one area, you'll observe the culture, you'll observe the history and it'll want you to come back and explore the highlands and islands. So that would be my suggestion. Uh, Yes, I I would agree with that. But I think I would also say that if I were you, I would want to go up to Inverness or further north because it's quite a drive from Edinburgh up to the Highlands. So you can do definitely three or four days in Edinburgh, but then another three basing yourself in Inverness so that you can see the the Highlands that are truly beautiful and even maybe go to the island of Skye. And then you wouldn't be spending so much time coming back to Edinburgh. So I would recommend a a split between Edinburgh and Inverness. Yeah, I think with a family of eight, you would um, find the efficiency of being set up in a big city with so many sites per square acre really convenient and efficient, and you'd want to stay in Edinburgh for a good three or four days. With eight people, you'd be very well off with a minibus, and they're quite inexpensive to rent and easy to rent, and you can do it even an open jaws approach where you picked it up in one city and dropped it in another from a big company. There's a good road up to Inverness from Edinburgh, and there you could make a loop and explore some of the uh, wild highlands, and that might give you the most travel thrills. Terry, thanks for your call. Thank you. 877-333-RICK, that's our phone number, and radio at ricksteves.com is our email address. An Insider's Guide to Edinburgh, Scotland is today's topic on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. Yo viaggio con Rick Steve. 
Amalfio Di Mauro from Catania, and that was Sicilian for I Travel with Rick Steves. Yo viaggio con Rick Steves. Direct from Scotland, Ken Handley and Anne Doig are our guests today on Travel with Rick Steves. They're here to take your calls and answer your emails about Edinburgh, the cultural heart of Scotland. We're at 877-333-RICK. By email, it's radio at ricksteves.com. And you can add to our conversation in the online message boards at our website. It's ricksteves.com. We're focusing on Edinburgh, the capital of Scotland, with once the most crowded city in Europe, famed for its skyscrapers and its filth. The rich and the poor lived virtually atop one another. In the Age of Enlightenment, a magnificent new Georgian city, that's today's new town, was laid out just across what was the lake. They drained the lake, they have the old town, then what was the lake is now the administrative center with great museums and train station and shopping center and tourist information office. And on the other side, we've got Georgian Edinburgh with a grid plan and a brand new futuristic looking town that came out of the Age of Enlightenment. It's a magnificent city, the artistic and historic and political capital of Scotland. And today they've got a new parliament building that puts a spring in the steps of the people in Edinburgh. And Ken and Anne, thanks for joining us. We're learning about your great city. Thanks for asking, Thanks for asking us. My on. little thumbnail there of Edinburgh, I hope was, that was okay. What an exciting time to be in Edinburgh. It is indeed, yes. And it was an excellent introduction to Edinburgh. Yes. Well, there's a, well t- to me, it's fun to see a town that has so much history, like in that Royal Mile, the most exciting downhill one-mile walk, I think, you could make a case in anywhere in Britain, starting at the castle, going all the way to the palace, and then you cross over the uh, what was the lake, and you've got this beautiful in the uh, couple hundred years ago, modern grid-planned city with all this Georgian elegance. And when we say Georgian in Britain, we're really talking neoclassical. Yeah. Under the King George's, you know, and that was the uh, the style of the age when uh, the colonies on this side of the Atlantic were breaking away. We were all building and, and excited about this neoclassical architecture in Britain. You'll see that word Georgian. Thanks for joining us, and we've got people calling us uh, with questions about Edinburgh. I'd like to talk with John in Olney, Maryland. Hi, John. Hey, Rick, how are you today? Great. Thanks for your call. Oh, thank you. My uh, daughter and I visited Edinburgh last spring. Just had an absolutely wonderful time. Uh, Loved walking the Royal Mile and and the area downtown there. And we are, like it so much, we're going back in uh, April. And one of the things that we kind of missed last year, the experience, uh, was the opportunity to experience some live music in uh, Edinburgh. And I was just wondering if there's any venues or uh, what are some of the opportunities for that we might find that's appropriate, Other maybe outside of pubs? That's a good distinction there. So outside of pubs, you you got your daughter with you, and you right. want to get a good dose of um, traditional music. Right. One of the, the, the places that you might like to try when you go back is a place called The Hub. Uh, you might have noticed that on your travels up to the castle, because there there is an information center, uh, and they'll give you all the information about... Celtic music, Scottish music, uh, Cayleys, and all of that. For by that, you have the local TIC, Tourist Information Centre, which is situated on Princess Street, uh, just next to the railway station there. Or you might like to try George IV Bridge, Victoria Street, and even the the Grass Market. Uh, What do you think, Anne? Yes, I agree with that. Um, the traditional music, there is a, a Celtic festival, but it's in Glasgow in January, so that might be out of season. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the best times if you're really interested in traditional music. In Edinburgh, a lot of it's focusing on the pubs. Out with the pubs, you'd really have to find out what the planned programmes were for some of the venues, and that would be going to the hub. Now, we should remind John that the pubs in Europe or in Britain are different than bars in America, and you, you know, you'd be comfortable taking your daughter in there. Was that a concern of yours? How old's your daughter? Well, she's 16, and 16. We, we certainly spent a little time in the pubs uh, last year, and, and trying it's fine, but I was thinking maybe uh, if some of the music was like a later time or whatever right. in the evening, then it might not be appropriate. Isn't there a publication called the Good the Gig, Gig Guide or something like the that? The Gig Guide, the yes. Gig guide, yeah. The Gig yeah. Guide is a little freebie that any pub that's interested in music contributes to and distributes, I believe, and you can get it at the tourist office or at um, participating pubs. pubs. Also, um, I'm frustrated in Edinburgh because I really want to see a folk show, and I want the dancing, I want the pipes, I want any... It's kind of clichetic touristic stuff, but it's also a real part of the culture. And they're getting so cheesy, and, you know, it's just a... 
They've sold out, as far as I've discovered, on the traditional classic Scottish they folk shows. They don't do shows. it well at yeah. all. No, There's just no like place to go. Variety. Yeah. That's true. It's a variety show with an electric organ and, and a guy with a, with a kilt. You definitely know? want to avoid that. Uh, you do. You definitely do want to avoid that, John. Celtic Connections is the best thing in January. Yeah. Um, what about hotel shows, the Caledonian or something? One or two of the hotels do, but again, it, it goes along that chintzy cheesy Line. The North Sea Gas. Do you remember that group? North Sea Gas, yes. First class, and you get North Sea Gas. And I was about to say that there's uh, a place in Blackfriars Street uh, in Edinburgh. And also, there's another one you might like to check out, John, on the top of Holyrood Road. It's called the Holyrood Inn. And they do uh, spontaneous gigs where people come in uh, oh. and, and just break into a, a, a sort of semi-jamming session. And uh, I, I would look that one up as well. The Holyrood uh, Inn on Holyrood Road. Hey, John, my favorite band, and I'm not that into it, but tw- 20 years ago I enjoyed the North Sea Gas, and they've kind of gone out of the pubs and into more of stage shows now, I think, and they're really good. If you can get to town, ask about the North Sea Gas, I would say wherever they're performing, go there and you're in for a great show. For sure. We were interested in uh, Salsa Celtica. Salsa Celtica. Celtica. Salsa? Celtica, yeah. Sa- Did you say Salsa Celtica? Yes. As a yes. dancing. Yeah. Is that, I've never heard of I that. I haven't heard of that either, no. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, uh, apparently, from what I read on, they're a local Edinburgh band, but they studied in uh, Havana, and uh, they play a, a kind of an interesting blend of uh, of Celtic and uh, Cuban music. Wow. The problem with them, John, is that they're out of town a lot. There is okay. another band on that theme, and their name the is called the, the Red Hot Chili Pipers. Red Hot Chili Pipers? Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> That's good. There's another one called Macumba. It's African drums and the pipes. Yeah. There's Ansi's Macumba as well. So, well, uh, yeah, one or two suggestions for you, but enjoy. Well, bo- and, bottom line on this traditional music, unfortunately, I've talked to a lot of guys who run pubs that used to be famous for traditional music. They make more money selling more beer to people who don't like traditional music. They just want modern progressive rock progressive yeah. rock so if uh, if you know if you're interested in making money in a in a characteristic old pub in edinburgh you're not going to cater to a few tourists and their yeah. and their daughters you're going to be catering to the the footballers and the local guys that want to go out and have some progressive rock so um, go to the tourist office and uh, get whatever's going on locally and good luck thanks for your call john thank you very much yeah and jim is on the line in decora iowa hi jim hi how are you good, thanks, thanks for taking my call you bet well, we were uh, fortunate enough to visit Edinburgh last year. Our, our son is uh, doing graduate work at the University of Edinburgh, and we're hoping to go back again. We feel like we walked the whole city last year and <laughs> fell in love with it. Uh, we've got an idea of what's on the surface, but we've been intrigued by the uh, the underground ghost tours. Uh, are those anything we should we should try for? Uh, my name's Ken, and I'll hand you over to Anna in a moment because I think you're going to get two different answers here. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that you probably could well uh, enjoy the underground. My particular favourite is Mary King's Close because that does tell the story about an absolute happening underground where the closes were sealed off because of the plague. You actually physically get to see how people lived and the circumstances they lived in them. I'm sorry, that was Mary King's... Mary King's Close. So Mary King's Close. Would be a definite for me uh, uh, for visiting. The other tours, some of them are a bit cheesy, some of them are a bit chintzy. Um, and so on, but they do add to a lot of flavour in in the in the old town. But for me personally, Mary King's close, and I'll hand you over to Anne. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yes, no, I think I probably agree with you. Hello, this Hello. is Anne here. Yes, Mary King's close is a is a is a very good visit. Um, the ghost tours. It depends on your guide. Sometimes they're very entertaining, but it's, it's a bit uneven. I always find it very hard to recommend a particular company. I used to recommend this company, Witchery Tours, and I went on one in August, and it was really it wasn't very good at all. It was terrible. So there's Old Reiki Tours. They're they're very popular, and all down the Royal Mile. If you've been there before, you, you'll see they've 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 got their boards up and they've got um, comments from in the press about them. So I mm-hmm. would look at that and see which one suits you because there's quite a variety. But Mary King's Close is just right opposite St Giles, right under the, the city chambers. And I agree with Ken, that's definitely worth a visit. 
You know, Jim, when you're thinking about the walks, I would consider the ghost walks kind of a, a lowbrow entertainment if you don't want to go to a movie or a pub in the evening, take a night walk, but don't expect any real history. Unfortunately for all of us guides, the big sellers are the Jack the Ripper tours and then ghost walks and so on, and every town's got a ghost walk in Britain. I would say the towns with the greatest heritage of ghosts and witch burnings are York and Edinburgh. If you're going to do a ghost tour, do it in York and Edinburgh. Don't expect heavy history, and don't do it at the expense of a real walk with a real guide like Anne or Ken during the day. They offer these tours beautifully on the Royal Mile. You see the people with their little signposts and so on. It's very inexpensive. It's wonderful fun. You get to know other tourists. You get real history during the daytime walks. Uh, at night, it's just kind of haunted house gore and cheesy fun. I mean, they've got these mm-hmm. things called screamers, don't they? And they're, they jumpers, work with the jump, jumpers. <laughs> jumpers, and you're in the middle of this, you're in this big jumper tunnel, out. and a jumper comes out at you, and it's, it's kind of fun. I, I remember a line that said it was so poor and so dark and so crowded the people couldn't even afford candles, and they knew each other by how they smelled. smelled. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's true. All right. Jim, good luck on your ghost tours. Thank you very much for your help. All right. Bye, Jim. Bye. Bye. Olga in Vancouver, thanks for your call. Rick, my husband and I have really enjoyed um, all your travel shows and your radio shows. Thank you. And um, we were in Edinburgh last summer with our 6-year-old and 10-year-old, and um, we really enjoyed the city, but we also enjoyed uh, day trips out to Stirling Castle and going out to um, out to the locks. To the locks, the lakes. Yeah. Is that what the locks are? The lakes. Lochs. Yeah. yeah, you got to understand, Olga. You're in a civilized country, and we call them locks. <laughs> <laughs> but if we say lake, you can understand us. Well, yeah. a lake is You'll a correct lock. us. You'll be polite. Say lock I hope. With a <laughs> sound. All right. <laughs> And one other one other thing I was going to mention was that um, our family got to go to the Perth Highland Games during August, and it was just wonderful because it, it gave you that down-home feel. All right. Very good. Yeah. Olga, let me ask you a question. What was it about Stirling Castle that you liked? That's Because ca- there's two big castles. There's one in Edinburgh, and then about an hour away, you've got one in the town of Stirling. Why did you like the Stirling Castle? Um. I, I liked the guide that we had. Um, it was an el- he was an elderly gentleman, and he just really um, focused on our children and telling them all the history. And it just um, it just felt like a, a very special tour, and and we just had a great time learning about the castle. I think it's fair to say that the the guides you're going to encounter in these great historic sites of Scotland take a certain joy out of uh, getting the kids enthusiastic about the history. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, Ken and Anne, I've always debated in my mind Stirling Castle or Edinburgh Castle. Mm-hmm. If you have limited time, should you do both? Or if you've done the Edinburgh Castle, does that mean Stirling is a little less uh, important? I, I, I probably would do both, to be honest, because um, they're representative of eras in our history that are so strong. Uh, for instance, Stirling Castle, we hang, you know, the movie Braveheart. But for by that, you know, uh, there, there is so much because the topography dictates that uh, it was very important to have control. So for that standpoint, yeah, it's a castle, a castle's a castle. Uh, and then from the historical royalty field as well, then Edinburgh with the crown jewels, the Stone of Destiny and that. So if possible, I would do both. So uh, they're distinct, they're different. That, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. It depends on your itinerary, really. Mm. If you've got, if you've visited a lot of castles, I would just say do one. And if you had to choose one, end, which would, would you choose? I would probably choose Edinburgh, but maybe that's because I live in Edinburgh. Yeah, Edinburgh is so many-faceted, and yes. it's, it's so well-presented, and it's so convenient. It's right there at the top yes. of the hill in the town, you know? The, the one thing you don't want to do, Olga, is what we call in the industry as the ABC tour. Another blooming castle. <laughs> Another <laughs> blooming castle. I like that. <laughs> hey, Olga, you did the Highland Games in Perth. Yes. There's a lot of different, uh, is that the games, or, or how did you choose that? And, and um, I, I was uh, looking on the Internet for Highland Games, and I came across um, just like little community ones. So like the winners from these little community games go on to the big ones. Ah. And so they had the dancing, the pipers, um, they even had foot races, and our kids were allowed to go and join in the foot races. Yeah, now that's the beauty that's of going to the charming little village games, I think, because if you went to the big games, they'd have uh, ropes for the tourists to stand behind, and they'd have all sorts of formalities. I got to 
throw the uh, caber, the caber. big, oh. that was like a telephone pole. They tried to, <laughs> I almost got a hernia throwing that thing, but <laughs> I, I think I was the most entertaining person there in the event, uh, the way I was clowning around with that. But it's because we stumbled into a little town, I don't even know the name, for a clan gathering. Anne and Ken, what's some advice for uh, uh, an American visiting Scotland wanting to get a charming small clan gathering? Or would you recommend going to the big famous ones? It depends on where you're staying, but there there is a list, if you go on the website, the Scottish Tourist Board, or Visit Scotland as it's called nowadays, have um, a whole list of the, the, the games. The most famous is the Braemar Gathering because the Queen attends. But the smaller ones are are... They're always very entertaining if you can get involved. Yes, yeah, I so would tend to. Yeah, <clears throat> sorry, I tend to go for the smaller ones, in particular with your experience at Perth. And uh, I, I would look out for the the ones, for instance, uh, in the Trossachs or uh, you know Loch Lomond side. You know the, the small ones, and you can get that, as Anne said, from Visit Scotland. Uh, there is a um, a list of all the Highland games. Go for the smaller ones. And uh, who knows, you might win the competition of tossing the caber <laughs> or, or uh, throwing the haggis or something like that. Great dancing, too, to see the little girls dancing. Isn't it wonderful? And the local bagpipe band, it's just yeah. like the high school marching band here. It's just a lot of uh, traditional and traditional culture for the local people, not on stage for the tourists. Is there a season uh, for these yeah, highlands? When, when is the season? It's the end of June through to the, the beginning of September, really, about the beginning to middle of September. The start. You now, can, yeah. So it's through the basically through the summer season. Through the and, summer months. And I yeah. would advise our listeners if a lot of people say go shoulder season, you'll miss the heat in the crowds. I don't think you got crowd and heat problems in Scotland as much as weather concerns. And I love going in the middle of the summer as much as possible when you got long days and plenty of activities. That's right. Are you guys yeah. okay with that? Uh-huh. Now you said the Visit Scotland is the new name of the tourist information center. Yeah. I find it quite a money grubbing for profit business now that is in the employ of big tourist uh, businesses, big hotels, big tour companies, and so on. What frustrations do you have with the what was the tourist information center and is now more of a sales agency, or am I just being too cynical? I think. I think you're absolutely right in what you say, but uh, since we, we both come from Scotland and uh, we <laughs> we have to try and promote and help the, the national agency, but uh, what you say, I think probably both Anne, Anne and I do agree with you, but having said that, uh, they are good for information and informa- information can be gleaned for uh, visits to enhance a visit. A good website, but just as a consumer, be aware that... Yeah. It's not an information rack. It's a rack of brochures that people paid to have their advertising displayed on, I think. And there's a lot of good uh, little businesses that don't play by the rules and they don't get the, the front row exposure from That's what true. a lot of people think is an information service. Yeah. But it's the only it's the only game on the on the street. So you got to go there to get information, but you need to be a savvy consumer when sorting through that information. I think also for Olga and our, and I know it's not our main reason just for going for Highland Games, but keep that tradition going, Olga, because it's the heart and soul of our country. It's our traditions from birth. It's what we, our whole culture, our whole Celtic being is about. Oh, I I really enjoyed going there, and I know um, our whole family wants to go back there again. Yeah. All right, hey Olga, thanks for your call. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. Bye bye. Let me tell you that I love you. And I think about you all the time Caledonia, you're calling me Now I'm going home Caledonia's been everything I've ever had There's more generous advice just ahead from Anne and Ken on visiting their hometown, Edinburgh, in Scotland. This is Travel with Rick Steves.
I'm Rick Steves, and our guests today are two Scottish tour guides based in Edinburgh, Andoig and the proudly kilt-wearing Ken Hanley. We're at 877-333-7425, or email us at radio at ricksteves.com for an insider's guide to Edinburgh. And we got James on the line from Plano, Texas. Hi, James. Hi, Rick. How are you? Great. Thanks for your call. Uh, listen, we we uh, went to Scotland about uh, 18 months ago, and I got converted to scotch. Uh, <laughs> Good for I you. I really enjoy the, the water the of club. life over there. So <laughs> I noticed that there was a tour from, like, the Whiskey Distillers Company on the high street, and uh, we didn't get to it, and I just wondered if it would be worthwhile. Do you mean the tour of the Scotch Whiskey Heritage Centre? Is that what you're yes. talking about? Up by the yes, castle. Ma'am. Up by the castle. Yes. That's, I would say that's a kind of visit if you can't get to a genuine distillery and you're interested in whiskey, yes, visit it by all means. But it's a bit touristy. If you can get to a proper distillery, and there are hundreds of them, that would be a, my suggestion. There's, there's one very near Edinburgh called Glen Kinchy, um, and of course there's lots up in Speyside, up in the Highlands. So that would be what I would suggest that you did. And you can get to the real distilleries. There are organised tours. They're a little bit difficult to get to if you're going on public transport, like by bus or train, but there are tours that take you to the distilleries. So I would recommend the real distillery. As opposed to what we like to call Malt Disney. Yes, Yes. Malt Disney. Yeah, right. Yeah, I I would 100% agree with Anne. The other thing is that there are one or two wonderful shops, and down the Royal Mile there's a shop called the Cadden Heads, and if you were to pop in there, these guys know their product. They eat, mm-hmm. sleep and breathe it, as do I myself and Anne. But, um, and sometimes Rick as well, you know. But uh, <laughs> they tell you about the real whiskies. That's my point. They tell you about the, the, the unchilled, unfiltered. And if you're a man that likes your whiskies, Anne uh, suggested to you up in the Highlands and so on, and, and the shops, you'll be in seventh heaven. And have a look at the Malt Whiskey Society as well, uh, which is in Queen Street in Edinburgh or in Leith. And it's in a building where where they've stored spirits uh, from Europe uh, since about the 13th century. And they're uh, called the Leith Claret. So uh, if you're a whiskey man and it's a big part for your trip, the, these are, this is good information for you. And even if you're not a whiskey man, I have never understood whiskey until last year. And Ken brought me into Caddenheads. That's the little whiskey shop at the bottom of the Royal Mile. And the man there is just so passionate and evangelical about the wonders of whiskey, whiskey in the rough. Yeah. And I, my biggest regret is I finished that bottle. i got to go back to Edinburgh, I mean, just for the good whiskey from Caddenheads. Now, what about, and I, I guess a point Anne made, which is really good, if you're going to be out in the countryside... Don't waste time with a touristy distillery tour in Edinburgh when you can really go to a on-the-site distillery tour in a small town. I think Oban yep. is an obvious uh, check. One, if yeah. Everybody yep. goes to Oban, and there's a, I think there's a great there's a good distillery there, distillery yep. there right in the downtown. Here's an interesting mm-hmm. idea, though. There's pubs all over the place, and pubs are not just for oh, the yeah. appreciation of beer. Yeah, there's, well, there's a great that's what, uh, whiskey That's where culture. we got our flavor from the first time with the pub, so... Yeah. I'm I'm real kind of real excited about it. I'm, I'm like you though, Rick. I need to get back over there to get the bottle of top town that I like. <laughs> All right, James. Thanks for your call. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have Bye-bye. a good time next time over there. Slange, James. <laughs> and we got uh, Jamie in Battleground. Uh, Jamie, what's on your mind? Actually, I, I have a question for our, our guys. Um, I took up wearing kilts a number of years ago. In fact, at this point, I no longer own a pair of long pants. Good man. When when I was in Edinburgh. Uh, between Christmas and Hogmanay uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I was the only person in a kilt. Uh, I'm in all kinds of people's photo albums because they assumed that I was a local. Now, the next time I go, I plan on going a uh, little bit later in the in the season. And I have heard that if you're in Scotland, in a, particularly in Edinburgh, wearing a kilt, you're probably a tourist. And I would hate to have any of the locals think that I was trying to be a poser or something. Oh, absolutely not. Um, you know, uh, one, I'm awful proud of you. You're my boy. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the club, my man. And uh, you keep wearing that kilt, let me tell you. I, I, I wear a kilt every day. 
And friends say to me, they didn't came me without pants on. <laughs> Wait a sec, they said what to you? They don't know him without pants on. Well, they don't know you without your pants right, on. Well, I've done that in Scots. Say that again in Scots. Well, they didn't care me with my breeks on. <laughs> but uh, let me be, you know, I, I, I'm terribly proud that you should want to wear a kilt and don't feel that you're treated as a tourist. You most definitely would not be. And I take my hat off to you. Keep wearing the kilt, my man, and welcome to the club. We were talking, um, this is Anne here, um, what, what's on my thoughts is they do, it's not just tourists that wear kilts in Scotland. It may be when you went at a very busy time that everyone you saw on the streets were, were tourists and they weren't wearing the kilt. And the, the, the people wearing the kilt were at balls or dances or parties inside and inside their own homes and mm. things because that's when they wear the kilt. So, All right, so you don't, you're not seen as an eccentric no. uh, oh, wearing no, a kilt no, no, on the streets no. of Edinburgh. Yeah, never no. use the word poser for you wearing a kilt. I'll tell you what, the kilt is the only garment that we have as a national costume, I mean the Scots, and it can be worn on high days and holidays. It crosses all social divides. Uh, so it is democratic an incredible <laughs> democratic and uh, you ain't nothing. You're definitely not a poser, my man. You join the club and join the clan. Well done to you. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I, I'm not... Uh, too concerned about being uh, an eccentric here at home. Uh, everybody thinks I already am, but uh, like I said, I uh, would certainly not want anybody to misunderstand why I was wearing the kilt when I was there. No, we, we're terribly proud that you'd want to do that, believe me. Well, thank you. Jamie, thanks so much for your call. You're welcome. And you're not a poser. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> this is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm Rick Steves, and today we're enjoying Edinburgh. I've got two great guides with me, Ken Hanley and Ann Doig. I've worked with them in Edinburgh, and today they're in our studios sharing an insight into their great city. And we've got some uh, emails. David in Tacoma emails us and asks, what are the dates of the Edinburgh tattoo, and how far out of the city does one have to go to get budget accommodations? He just loves the bagpipes. First of all, what is the tattoo? Uh, tattoos are... Uh uh, a military extravaganza in actual fact it's uh, it's a feast of bagpiping and marching and that it actually comes from the Belgian of turning the taps so the soldiers would be calmed down at the end of the day by giving a beer and it's turning the taps off that's what it means tattoo physically ah. to turn off the taps and it's sort it, of the massing of the bands now isn't it military pipes. bands in the old days it would have been a single piper beating the retreat and calming the troops or the clans down so we brought it into a modern idiom, and it's it's usually in August. It runs three weeks in the month of August. Well, the dates this year in 2007 are August the 3rd to the 25th. It's a huge, colourful festival of bagpipes, and it takes place every night in the Esplanade of the Castle. Is it tough to get tickets for a tourist? It, it, it is, and if you go on the internet just now, you'll find that the, the, it's sold out. But don't let that deter you. Uh, tickets can be had and bought at the ticket office in Market Street in Edinburgh. And you know, for me, one of the great cultural experiences is to watch the tattoo on TV with local people because isn't it the opening night of the tattoo or something's a big deal all, all around Britain? Do they air it? Is it a tradition? Yeah, they, they, they actually televise it into about maybe the, the, the middle of the second week, but it airs nationally uh, on television. And it is, as you say, Rick, it's a, a, a big deal. And do you think the tattoo's worth the trouble for tourists? Oh, absolutely. Yes, it's, it's the sort of star attraction. It's become the biggest event of the festival seasons. Edinburgh has really almost become the, the city of festivals in Europe, particularly in August. There's the official festival and the Fringe Festival, the Jazz and Blues Festival, the Book Festival, the Film Festival. Overlapping at the same all time. All overlapping. The tattoo kicks yeah. it off. It well, starts. that gets back to David's questions. What about accommodations? To me, in my experience... Everything is easy. There's almost as much entertainment as there are audience. You know, I mean, you can get tickets to a lot of things, but getting a room, I would just imagine you need to book it long in advance and be ready to pay a ransom. Absolutely. I think um, years in advance is, it wouldn't be, you know, understating it. And it's, it's reasonable for a and b to jack up their price during the, the festival because there's going to be a huge demand. Yeah. What they say is that at the other times of the year, that's an off-peak price, and in August, it's just the normal price. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the way they get away with it. But all over Europe, they But you could that. travel in from Glasgow, actually, because yeah. it's just a 15-minute... Good idea. 15-minute. Actually, the whole of the central belt of Scotland, the tattoo people say, are taken up by people staying for the, the tattoo. So. Okay. And Edinburgh is a transportation hub, therefore mm -hmm. side-tripping in to the festival is reasonable. Possible, yeah. For me, the most stirring and uh, emotional moment is, I think it's the finale of the tattoo, oh, when you yeah. have the lone piper 
up on the castle wall with one spotlight yeah. just just yeah. right on him. Yeah, and, I, I, and I don't quite get it, but all of the Scottish people around me are really moved by it. Oh, and absolutely. it's just there's sort of a contagious emotion that sweeps the, the audience. Absolutely. I think it pulls at your heartstrings, the sound of the of oh. pipes. That's that's why they were used. They were used for funerals. They were used for stirring the, the clans the up and also and for calming them down and well, for a... I mean, for requiem. But when you hear that pipe, oh, as yes. Scottish people, what does it do for oh, you? Like the hair on the back of the neck, <laughs> goosebumps. It's, Why? It's everything. It's it's your whole being. It's it's in your genes. It's just one of the situations. I I am probably the luckiest person in the world. I can claim to have seen every tattoo performance since its conception. When? Uh, my father took me, and I stood on the top of the Camera Obscura in the 50s, and wow. I have seen every tattoo performance since. So it's an annual event since the 50s? Annual event. 1949. And since 1949. And, wow. and, and as I said, it is the biggest cultural event now uh, in the world, which is... It's really worth seeing if you're in Britain in August. Yep. Uh, watch it on TV, even. Trish in Okinawa, Japan, emailed us and says uh, she's returning to Edinburgh with her husband and she wants to know about any romantic attractions that they should be sure to check out. Uh, I, I, um, I think I'll let Anne, uh, being a lady, go first and then I'll come in with whatever the, the male idea is. <laughs> okay, the female well, I approach. Well, I immediately think about this. Not many people know about this, but there's a suite of rooms called the Inner Sanctum above a famous restaurant called The Witchery right next to the castle. And I used it once to for a film crew when they were filming Sherlock Holmes. It's um, lavishly done with antiques. It's, it's extremely romantic, but you'd need to have a healthy budget to stay there. Um, he's got another suite of rooms as well, but uh, it's it's would come under the the witchery near the castle if you wanted to get in touch with them. And also the, the same company, the same chap called James Thompson bought Prestonfield House, which is an old manor house just outside, it was just outside the city. Um, it's now incorporated into the city. And uh, he's got amazing style and he's redesigned this manor house. And it's got, there's a restaurant there called Rhubarb, which is, is, is really worth visiting and it would be great for a romantic yeah. dinner. I ate there with my film crew. It wasn't yeah. romantic, but um, <laughs> I can see how it could be romantic. And, and uh, that's the Preston Field House. Preston Field House. And it's outside Peacocks of town, the but very close to the town. I mean, yeah. you're surrounded by uh, greenery Green. and, and farmland and animals. They've got That's where they have one of the cheesy um, Scottish folk shows, so I wouldn't yeah. get sucked into that personally. But the hotel and even just the restaurant are a wonderful experience. Ah. Preston Field House. I think the other side, the, rom- the more romantic side away from the hotels, which Anne uh, rightly mentioned in the, in the restaurant, and the connection with rhubarb, actual fact, is that uh, one of the families brought the seeds for rhubarb back from the part of the world where this lady comes from. But anyway, uh, one of my suggestions would be for a romantic visit. And Japanese gentlemen like wearing a Scottish kilt and ladies very much like their Japanese uh, man in a kilt. And down the Royal Mile, there is a, a close called Dunbar's Close. And they have a copy of a 17th century town garden there. Now, the the mentality behind the town garden is a courtship. You would start a courtship in one part of it. And if that courtship and that relationship went further, you go to another part of the garden. And if it went further and you had a wedding and children, there was another part of the garden. So I think Dunbar's Close, a formal... A recreated town garden uh, would be another must visit. And also, (laughs) so for Trish in Okinawa, you think she would enjoy taking her lover to Dunbar's Close? Absolutely. Dunbar's Close, where you have a progression of little town gardens that get more and more romantic. And you can rent a kilt. Actually, Ken rented me a kilt when we were there (laughs) filming our TV show. And it's the equivalent of where high school kids would go to rent tuxedos in my town. But I really enjoyed being fitted into a kilt and yeah. wearing that thing. And that's an interesting idea to spice up and spiff up your Edinburgh experience. Yeah. I'm talking with Ken Hanley and Anne Doig, two friends of mine who are uh, tour guides and travel experts from Edinburgh. I want to finish things off by just taking our listeners to the top of Arthur's Seat. And we're at a, a volcanic mountain. It's a small mountain. It's easy to hike up in 45 minutes or something like that. And you've got this very exciting king of the mountain feeling. And around you stretches Edinburgh and the countryside Take me up there, Anne, and then Ken, and tell me what the view means to you. Well, the, the view means to me, well, you're looking down to the coast, and I love the coast, coastal villages, the seafaring tradition. You're looking east and south down the coast. If you're looking north, you're looking up to the castle. You see all the, there are hundreds of 
church spires in Edinburgh, that reminding of all the religious turmoils, but used by the festival nowadays, all the churches. Um, this massive castle on a volcanic core, and then beyond that, the regular beautiful squares and designed neoclassical new town. And then again, you're seeing more water to the north, the Firth of Forth. It used to be a fantastic commercial link with Northern Europe and the hills of Fife and St Andrews. So it means a lot um, being up there. And you're also in the centre of this amazing architecture. You're in the wilderness. You're in a wild place, a high place. What a grand... And you can get there on... Mm in 45 minutes. A grand spot, Ken. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got to echo these sentiments, uh, but for a different slant on it, for me, um, I, I stand there in wonder and look at what Mother Nature gave us and uh, I look at the castle, this extinct volcanic pluck, and I see the back of the lava flow running, which the experts call the, the classic crag and tail formation, the birth of a nation, the birth of a country, uh, and it's all viewed from the top of Arthur's seat. Uh, you look over the body of water and you look at the the home of Christianity for us, in a sense, uh, to St Andrews. Uh, you look at that whole Fife uh, coastal area and you're looking north up into the highlands, you're looking west, you're looking south to the border country. It's an absolute pinnacle to observe and, and to take in the culture of a nation from one viewpoint, which is absolutely just stunning. One viewpoint that is emblematic of what Edinburgh is, I think, to Scotland. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure, is that. Ken, can you wrap things up with some beautiful example of your language? Um, I think uh, it would be appropriate for us at this moment in time to finish with uh, a wee touchy Robbie Burns. Robert Burns. And uh, Robbie was a man of the people, a commoner like myself, uh, a non-intellect but someone who had a passion for his country. And he might have said something like, well, fair for the honest sonsy face, the great chieftain of the pardon race, aboon them all, attack your place, but pains thrive from fear em. But where they were, they owe a grace, so they're as long as they ear But see this rustic labour dict, we cut you up, we bony sect. What a sect, waram reekin. And Burns is infusing about his country. Translate that for passion. me. I mean, uh, you can say that in, in an understandable English for me yeah. now, if you can. Well, basically, he's doing, and the other example is in Scots language, um, would be some hay meat and can eat, and some hay meat that want it. And we hay meat and we can eat and say the Lord be thank it. So in other words, Burns is doing this incredible, in-depth thank you for his country, for his nation, for the food. And in the simplistic way is the other one in English that I said to you as well. And to be proud of your Scottishness. Well, that, that goes without saying. That's right. Anne Doig and Ken Hanley, thank you very much for sharing uh, the wonders of your city with us. Thank Pleasure. you, Rick. Thank you, Rick. Pleasure and slange. <laughs> Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online, including listener feedback, archived audio on demand, and podcast extras. You'll find it in the radio section of our website, ricksteves.com. Gonna no go there, Rick. I just no gonna do that, son. Wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was her. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.